you know, it says in the book of Jeremiah, this is God speaking through Jeremiah to his people. He says, when you pray, I will listen. If you look wholeheartedly for me, you'll find me. So today, what I want us to do is not just listen to someone pray. I want us to actually pray. So if you'll bow your heads with me, maybe take a posture of prayer, hands out on your knees, on your feet, wherever you might be. Would you just breathe a word of prayer right now to the Lord, saying, thank you, Lord, for loving me. Just go ahead and say that to him. Say it out loud. Lord, thanks for being here through your spirit today. Go ahead. Now, would you, just, would you just confess to him the need you have right now? Maybe it's a need to focus. Maybe it's a need to set aside class thinking. Maybe it's a need to confess sin. Maybe you're lost and struggling. I don't know what it is. But would you just confess that to him right now and say, Lord, this is what I need today. This is what I know I need. Go ahead. Now would you tell him something like, Lord, I know that I think I need that, but you know more, so show me more what you know that I need. Show me my needs. Now for just a moment, let's pray for our speaker, Sean. Great guy, great man of God, but without the Lord's power working through him today, we just hear words. Would you take a minute and pray for Sean that God would anoint him and use him and his words would be the words of the Lord for us today. Go ahead, pray for him. Now, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. How blessed we are to be able to call a time out from scholastic stuff and step in and engage our minds and our hearts. This is not divorcing our minds. It's, it's our mind and heart brought before you to say, here, Lord, here's all of me, eager, leaning in with ears open. We've asked you to speak to us. We commit ourselves to listen. And we would pray that not just our world would be changed, but the world would be changed as you make a difference through us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you welcome Sean to the stage? Well, good morning. I am an IWU alumni. I, yep, there you go. I am also an IWU board member, one of the newest, and I have no idea what I'm doing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I am more proud of the fact that I am the father of a current IWU student and hopefully the parent of a future IWU student with my youngest son. And I'm thrilled to be here with you this week. I am pastoring a church, as John said earlier, a couple hours west of Chicago. It's a great church. But my journey into ministry is unique. I went from Wheaton to the military to being a state trooper in Pennsylvania and then into ministry. And the rest of that story will come later in the week. But basically the will of God prevailed in my life. And that's fitting because the focus of our time this week in the summit is God's will, knowing his plan for our life. It's a great subject, but it's also an elusive subject. We can struggle to know and discern the will of God. 
But that's because most of the time we don't know how it works, how we play in it, or how we can get off track, or even better yet, stay on track. So I'm not an expert, I'm not a guru, I'm a practitioner. I stumble along, I'm one beggar trying to help other beggars find bread. But this week, I want to set aside time to deal with this great subject that can be elusive in a manner where we know how it works, how we play in it, and how we get off track. In fact, today and tonight, we're talking about how it works. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about how we play in it, our part. And then on Wednesday, we're going to talk about how we get off track because that's really where most of the people get slipped up and tripped up in the journey. So we're going to start today in a place that you probably wouldn't expect, but that's because the issue when it comes to knowing and doing the will of God is we don't understand how it works, how we play in it, and how we get off track. And we're starting today with this big boy right here. Worship team said I have big heart. (laughs) Apparently if you get one of these, they'll say the same thing to you. We're starting here. See, the world has a lot to say about the heart. Our culture, people talk about the heart a lot, and we hear it all the time. In fact, I thought it'd be fun if we just started today by maybe finishing some of the more common sentiments or statements around love. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to say the beginning part of a familiar statement, and if you know it, I want you to shout out the rest of the statement right from where you're at. You with me? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Home is where the? Yeah, excellent. There you go. Well, that one was easy. That one was easy. All right, here we go. Here's another one. Ready? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Good job. You're awake. My dad says absence makes the heart hurt. And I actually think both are true. But let's roll on. Here's another one. This is one you uh, may be familiar with. But the the way to a man's heart is through? Yeah, his stomach. I don't know if that's really true, but I know that's how the statement goes. But let's just ramp it up, get a little more difficult here. You're still tracking with me. Cross my heart and hope to stick a needle in. Oh, no, don't say that. No, that's off track. We don't want to go there. Last one, though. Just follow your heart. We have a lot to say about the heart. And we can, from the bottom of our heart, have someone's best interest at heart as we encourage them to follow their own heart. But God desires men and women who will follow his heart, who will chase after him and his heart. The world says, follow your heart. God has different counsel. And before we go any further, I want to make sure I frame what I'm talking about here and what I mean when I talk about the heart. In fact, the cross behind me, for our purposes this week, represents the heart of God. The cross is, in a sense, an expression of love. He so loved the world, he sent his son to die on a cross like that. It's an expression of love. It's the essence of the one who is himself love. So the cross represents the heart of God. This right here, this represents our heart. Our heart. It's the center of our life. It's our passion, our desire, our love. It represents everything that has our attention and affection. 
and it's our heart. But we also need to understand what this pile of paraphernalia is. This is anything and everything we value. It's what we prioritize, protect, pursue. It's our stuff. It's our, it's our treasure. It could be your career. It could be your education. It could be your hobby, your ability, your accomplishments. It's all the stuff that we place value on that says it's important, that it defines our identity, and it gives us some sense of hope. It's, it's our stuff. Now, if this doesn't represent your actual stuff, hang with me. Just pretend it does. See, we all value things. We all place value on different things. And every time we do that, we place value on something, it tells a little bit about who we are. But it does more than that. It actually defines what's possible and impossible in our life. Because it sets the condition, direction, and location of our heart. And the world says, follow your heart. But God has very different counsel. He says, lead your heart. Lead your heart. Take responsibility for the condition, location, and direction of your heart. Lead it. Don't follow it. And the reality is that our heart, our heart was not created to lead but to follow. The sentiment that we just need to follow our heart, that's great, that's popular, that's familiar. We hear it all the time. We hear it in popular songs. We, we see it in self-help programs. We, we see it in romance novels. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> not that I read those or anything. Look, we, we know it's true. This idea of follow your heart seems romantic. It seems noble, but, but to try to follow that advice is filled with problems. It doesn't work because our heart was created to follow, not lead. And if we don't understand how that works, we'll never be able to know and do the will of God. You may think this is a weird place to start to understand and know the will of God. It is the right place to start. If we don't start here, none of the rest of the conversation matters. None of the rest of the conversation matters. So here's the deal. The world says follow your heart. God says lead your heart. We know that from lots of different scriptures. One in particular comes from the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church in Colossae. In chapter 3, verse 1, here, here's what we can read, what was written there in God's word. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, this is a great verse, but there's, there's a few things we can actually extract out of it to understand how this all works. First of which is that our heart can pursue different things. Our heart can pursue good things and bad things, the right things and the wrong things. Our heart can pursue different things. That's first. Second, it matters where our heart is. It matters. The location, direction, and condition of our heart matters. And because we can pursue lesser things, and when we pursue lesser things that has, that has a ripple into our life and our experiences, it matters where our heart is. And the third thing we can pull out of that passage is the reality that we have the ability to influence where our heart is. We have that ability. We can change where it is. We can't change it. Only God can change a heart, but we can actually take it off of one thing and set it on another thing. 
we can change and influence the location of our heart. Now, it sounds simple, but there's a catch. And the catch has to do with our treasure. Because ultimately, our heart was not created to lead, but to follow, as I said. Now, I wonder, with that reality, where your heart is today. Right now, in this season, this semester, this stage of life, where is your heart? Who or what is it following? The answer matters. And it defines your ability to know and do the will of God. A lot of people struggle in life because they don't understand how to influence what their heart follows and where it follows. And we try by willpower and, and determination and self-discipline to hold tight, but then we find ourselves just back into patterns and behaviors, back in places we never intended to go in the first place, defeated, not living the way we know we should be living because we don't know how or what our heart follows. So here's the bottom line. The most basic explanation of what I'm talking about is that our heart follows what we invest in. Our heart follows what we invest in. That's oversimplified. I know that. I get that. But it's the most simple explanation of what I'm talking about. Whatever we pour our time, resources, energy, and effort into will draw our heart. It won't just draw our heart. It will woo our heart. And it won't just woo our heart. It will rule our heart and ultimately lead it. Because our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. Jesus understood this when he talked about the concept of two masters in Matthew chapter 6. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it, turn, or click to Matthew chapter 6. He, he's just given some instruction about fasting. He's about to give some conversation around this concept of treasure, that stuff over there. And I want to look at what he says. This is starting in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, there are different opinions regarding the origins of the word mammon. But essentially, it's an Aramaic word, a Syrian word, that literally means riches. It means what? Riches. It means riches. Some people think it has to do with a pagan god. Some people connect it to a Hebrew word about trust and confidence. But regardless of the origin, the meaning is clear. It means riches. It means materialism. It is wealth personified. And it represents things that we have or want. And it brings with it this idea of self-sufficiency. That we can do it and we don't need God. That's mammon. It's more than what it's often translated as, as simply just money. It's far more than money. So our heart was not created to lead but to follow. And Jesus in this passage is talking about the heart here. And he says, look, you, you can only follow one. You can't follow two. It's, it's only one. It's not two. But yet sometimes I think we can try to do two things and think we can do them well. But the reality is we can't do two things well. And so to help us embrace that idea, I have a, have a brief reminder to show us that we really can't do two things well. Check this out. What's better, doing two things at once or just one? Two! two. You sure? I am absolutely positive. It's two times is awesome. The thing I can do is wave my head and wave. That's amazing. I've never seen anything like that. Look, I can do Hold it. Hold on, I'm watching this. I know you're busy. It's not common. What's better? We really can't do two things well. We, we really can't. 
Here, we try, we try though, we really do try. In fact, do this with me. Right where you're at, I want you to pick up your right foot. I want you to just lift it off the ground about six inches. I want you to point your toes forward, just have enough clearance where you can rotate your foot in a clockwise direction. Just rotate your toes clockwise. You got that? You're just going clockwise. Good. Now, what I want you to do is take your right hand, and I want you to draw a six in the air. A six. Draw a six. Now, but keep your toe going clockwise. Draw a six and keep going clockwise. You can't do it. We can't do two things well at the same time, people. We really can't. We think we can, but we cannot. Now listen, listen. If you're still trying, stop. You can't do it. This is especially, we can't do two things well at the same time. This is especially true when it comes to following God, pursuing him, chasing him. Yet we think we can do two things once. At the same time, we can think we can do them well, but we really can't. We can't serve two masters. Our heart was not created to follow two. It was created to follow one. It was created to follow the one who loves us and created us, the one who was and is and is to come. Just one, not two. Now, that's really good to know. But right before Jesus said what he said in verse 24, he, he says something else that if you're willing to hear it, if you're willing to understand and embrace it, it can radically change the way you live and love and relate to God. So back up with me to verse 19. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That, that's really good information. Investing in the right places is important. <laughs> it makes sense. But, but what he says next is really important because he tells us why. In verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's, that's huge. That, that's life-changing. And one of the keys to breaking down patterns of addiction and struggle, to, to, to no longer doing what we don't want to do, but actually doing the things we know we're supposed to do, which is to do the will of God, that's the key. Let me say it differently. Our heart will always be where our treasure is. Our heart will always be where our treasure is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So the reality is that these things are connected. He says, where your, where your treasure is, your heart will be. He didn't say could be, might be, possibly. He said will it will. You may be saying, Sean, like, chill out, dude. You're a little intense. Are you that, is that, it's a little extreme. Are you serious? Absolutely, I am. The relationship between these two things is inseparable. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart be. Your heart follows wherever our treasure goes. And listen, if we want to see our heart someplace else, we've got to first move our treasure. If we, want, if we want our heart to be aligned to God, we're like, I want my heart aligned to you, Lord. I want to walk with you and know you, okay? If we want our heart there, but our treasure's over here. Where is our heart going to be? Over here. You can't separate it until we take our stuff. Until we go over and move our stuff to the place we say, Lord, all that I am, all that I have, everything about me, I position before you. I sacrifice and lay it down before you. Everything I have, all that I am, I give to you. Until we do that, we'll never have our heart aligned to him. Because until our stuff actually moves there, when our stuff moves there, where does our heart go?
Yeah, buddy. Whatever our heart follows and serves has authority over it. And our heart will always be where our treasure is. Until we move our treasure in alignment to the heart of God, we're going to struggle to know his will and do his will because it's ultimately a heart issue. Look, our heart doesn't lead, it follows. It follows what we long for. It follows what we pursue. It follows what we lust for. It follows what we place prominence on. And it looks like it's leading because it comes to the front, but it's not. It's following. It's following our stuff. Our heart always will be where our treasure is. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says what it says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your what? Heart. Heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, with all your stuff, with all of your treasure, submit to him. And he'll make your path straight. Who or what our heart follows has authority over it. And we will be stuck not knowing his will until we get this right. That's why we're starting here. That's why this conversation has to start here. Until we ask God to change us through his son, Jesus Christ, until we have proper alignment, we're going to be stuck. Now, you may have a lingering question in your mind, like, okay, how can we tell who or what our heart is serving? Well, one of the easiest ways to do that is to simply remember a principle. It's a simple principle that we will sacrifice for what our heart follows. We will sacrifice for what leads our heart. And if we will sacrifice for more possessions and we'll sacrifice for a better job and we'll sacrifice for more stuff, we won't sacrifice for the things of Jesus. And guess what? Mammon is your God. And your heart's not aligned to the God who made you. Even though we may want our heart to be there, it'll be somewhere else because our treasure determines its location. Now, you may be thinking, look, money, money's bad, and we can't have stuff. Or, or you might be thinking, you might be thinking, you know what, I don't agree with this. I, I don't agree with this at all. This is my stuff. It has nothing to do with whether or not I can know God's will and do God's will. And, and I, I hear you, but, but we have a tendency to either blatantly disregard this subject or to take a hold of it in a way God never intended, and that shows up in legalism. But before we do that, before we judge too quickly, I want to take a break and a breather for some deep thinking to remind us of not to judge too quickly, so check this out. Patient has a fractured fibula, given well, Saturday. So he could be able to go on tomorrow. Daddy's gonna be so excited. That killed him. That's so wrong. (laughs) But that's why we should never judge too quickly, right? Yet we do it. We do it when it comes to treasure and heart and God's will. We're like, you know what? It's not a big deal. My stuff doesn't matter. I can do this. And and it's not connected to my heart. Or we take some unhealthy posture of legalism that God never intended. And we get jammed up. And we don't have our heart aligned. And we don't know his will. And we don't walk with him. We don't experience his best in our life. Just because we judge too quickly, like, I got it figured out. I know this doesn't matter. Look, 
God doesn't mind if he has stuff. He minds if stuff has us. Listen to what that missionary Paul, that guy we read a little bit earlier, said. He, he, he says this to his, his student Timothy. And I'm not showing this up on the screen, so if you've got a Bible, you can go there. Otherwise, you can just listen in. But this is, this is 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, those who want to get rich, those who prioritize their stuff, their, their treasure, those who, who want more of this rather than more of him, and, and, and those can be rich or poor, because it's not about the quantity we have, it's the desire and orientation of our heart, right? So the rich and poor both fall into this, so it's not about having and not having, it's about the orientation and posture of our heart. He said, those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Remember, our heart follows our treasure, and without his heart in the mix, we're inevitably set up for a downward spin and spiral. Without his heart in the equation. For the love of money, verse 10, for the love of money. For the love of what? Money. The love of money, not money itself. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced, listen, pierced themselves with many griefs. Huh. It's possible for riches to rule our life, whether you're rich or poor. Because it's an issue of purpose. It's an issue of where we find our power, our identity, our hope. And we can, we can have stuff and material wealth or, or have none of it. The problem is when we sacrifice and serve and chase mammon, our stuff. When mammon or our treasure gives us hope, it's likely that our heart is already moved. Because the only place we find hope is in Jesus. You know, the world, the world will say that stuff will solve your problems. But when we let stuff rule our life, we have to chase it. We have to follow it. We don't have an option. There will always, well, it will always be moving us away from the heart of God at the same time. We can't follow both. And and the harm that we bring into the equation, we harm ourselves. It's self-inflicted. We pierce ourselves. And so the reason Jesus talked about money and possessions and treasure more than anything else he talked about in all of his teaching is because, not because he thought it was evil. Money's not evil. It's neutral. It's it's the issue of alignment of our treasure which aligns our heart. That's the key reality. And although the world says more stuff solves your problems, more stuff makes makes you better, more more stuff gives you comfort, true satisfaction is not in self, in the stuff that we have. And Jesus Never gives money as the solution for what we need in life. Treasure should only be a tool and never be a trophy. And it means, it means that the treasure becomes a means to his will being done, his priorities. Look, this is, this is not just a creative metaphor to help teach a point and make, make the illustration happen. This is, this is an effective, accurate spiritual assessment. God created us with a heart for him. And inside us, we have an internal wiring that is only for him. There's a part of us that is just for him. And unless, unless, we're, unless we're lying to him, we're gonna be dissatisfied. There's this part of us that is just wired for him, and, but there's this reality that the things of this world and the things that we have kind of crept in and they take the place of God. And they keep our heart out of alignment for the things of God, and we struggle to know his will. But yet, so God loves us. We have this wiring for him, but yet he gives us stuff. He gives us stuff to use for our good, for our pleasure, but that stuff takes the place of God. 
And one of my, one of my favorite theologians, A.W. Tozer, once wrote about this really clearly. I just want to read it to you, so just listen. There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use are verbal symptoms of a deeper disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Now listen, here's the good part. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God. God's gifts now take the place of God. And the whole course of human nature is upset by this monstrous substitution. Our hearts will always be where our treasure is. And until we value him and what he values more than our stuff, until we invite him to rule our life and our heart, and for our heart to beat with his, we will find ourselves in a close but not quite struggle where the gifts have taken the place of the giver in life and love and in relationship with God. And that relationship with God, will, in trying to know and do his will, will always seem like a fight and a struggle. And I think much of what is less in our lives, what is wrong, what's not best, what's not God's best, can be linked to the fact that God's gifts have taken the place of God. And that's tragic. The good news is you don't have to stay there. If that's your scenario, you don't have to stay there. There is a way out. Paul told the church in Colossae, set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on him who rose from the grave. Set your hearts on the one who was and is and is to come. He doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds if stuff has us. So let's just move to so what? Why, what does this matter? What, what are the implications of what we're talking about? How do we live out of this? Listen, it depends. It depends on where God's gifts have taken the place of God in your life. It depends on where your treasure is. It depends on, therefore, then where your heart is. Not where you want your heart to be, not where you think your heart should be, where your heart actually is, and it's where your treasure is aligned. Where's your heart? So here's the deal. As we begin this journey through the week, there are three things that we can do today to undo heart drift and undo the misalignment that happens when we don't get it lined up the way God intended in the first place. The first of those three things is to monitor your heart. Monitor your heart. Consider the condition, location, Priority and direction of your heart. Talk to God about what he sees. He's the one who sees your heart, and he's the only one who ultimately can change your heart. So talk to him. Ask him whether your heart beats with his. If we don't give attention to it, it leads to drift, and we drift into unintended places in life, in good and bad circumstances. Psalm 62.10 says, if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. So as things both good and bad happen to our life, we can drift, and with not monitoring our heart, we can find ourselves in places we never intended to go. Accountability with others helps that, but a posture of monitoring your heart is first and foremost. Second is to guard your heart. Monitoring is internal. Guarding is external. It's keeping the things that are out here from entering in and influencing. So it's those passing thoughts, it's entertaining temptation, it's looking at images, it's dwelling on the past. Each of those things can push and pull our heart in places we don't want to go. That's why Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. Keep external distractions from turning your heart. 
Look, when I was about six or seven years old, my family would go and visit one particular family on Sunday afternoons, and they had this one room that had a huge train set in it. It was like this big train on a huge table with all kinds of scenes, forest, city, like lake scenes, military scenes. I loved going in that room and hanging in that space. In fact, I always hung around the corner that was military, and I played with the little green soldiers. And they had this really cool green army biplane that I just thought was the coolest thing ever. Long story short, one day, I let mammon lead my heart, and I took it. I stole it. The little degenerate that I was. And I'm not proud of that. I'm embarrassed to even tell you that right now. And I got caught. My friend noticed it was gone, asked his parents, his parents asked my parents, and I got frisked at the door. And it was in my pocket. Hey, how'd that get in there? I'm not proud of it. But I share that because if we do not guard our heart, the external factors will start to push in and we will ultimately allow mammon to lead our heart rather than the God who created us to lead our heart. We've got to monitor and we've got to guard and the last thing we've got to do is focus our heart. Focus our heart. Proverbs 23 verse 19 says, Hear, my son, hear, my daughter. Don't count yourselves out, women. Hear and be wise and direct your heart in the way. The way is the way of the Lord. It's his love, it's his light, it's chasing his heart, it's it's caring for who he is more than what he gives. It's it's wanting to be with him more than to receive from him. It's wanting to give and not just take in that relationship. And that may seem hard, but it's actually fairly simple. We can focus our heart when we have a heart of gratitude, when we have a grateful heart. A grateful heart follows, it remains. So directing our heart in the way starts with knowing we're guilty of sin. It starts with knowing we deserve something other than good gifts. That there is one who saves, one who redeems, and one who forgives. And if you're spiritually in attention today, you're spiritually unresolved, you find your heart and your stuff is not aligned to the heart of God. You can set your hearts on him and live for him today, not enticed by other things. By giving Jesus the throne of your heart, by giving him leadership in your life, we can be grateful because we're guilty. And living out of that gratitude keeps our heart aligned and we know what we deserve for real. It keeps our stuff and our heart aligned with his. Grateful because we are guilty. Look, all three of these actions to to monitor, guard, and focus, each of these call us to avoid distractions. But I wonder which one of these areas you need the most work in. What needs some confession? What needs some prayer? What needs some attention? And I want to invite you in the next few moments to begin a conversation with God right where you're at about those realities. Because our heart will always be where our treasure is. You can't serve both God and mammon. And if you want to know and do the will of God, it starts here. So we have an opportunity right now to set our hearts, to lean our hearts, to align our hearts to him. An opportunity for us to say, here is my heart, Lord. Guilty, broken, lustful, prideful. All that I am, I give to all of you. You can change your life now. You can ask God to change your heart, turn it toward his and be fully aligned. That's directly tied to your stuff. Now I know that the spirit of mammon is going to tell you, don't do it. I know the spirit of God is saying, listen to my son Jesus. Listen to his red letter words. If you will listen to what he has said, you will do what he has said, it will radically change your life, and nothing will ever be the same. 
We're going to continue the conversation tonight and looking at one of the first secrets to actually knowing the will of God. But today, right now, you have an opportunity, we each have an opportunity to align our hearts to him, to respond. So here's what I want to invite you to do is Cam's coming and Cam's just going to play a little bit of music behind this. If you know your heart is not in alignment, if you know you have drifted, if you know you have allowed other things to take your heart and lead your heart in places God didn't want it to go, this morning's an opportunity to get that right so that the rest of the week is a building process of living into his will. But you gotta make a decision. And that decision may mean you actually come physically down and you align your body to this stuff up here and you just say, Jesus, I want my heart and my stuff aligned to your heart. Here's my heart, Lord. So I'm gonna pray. I'm not gonna say amen. When I'm done, Cam's gonna sing just a little bit. And I invite you not to miss this opportunity. Life is too short and death too certain to live out of fellowship with God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your good, good gifts. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. In the next few moments, God, in this minute right now, move in our hearts so we would be your people in your place aligned to you for your purpose and glory. In Jesus' name I pray.